Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Now, when you hear the, the phrase, care for the lost, you might think, oh, he wants us to be nice to people. And that's, you know, that's usually a good rule of thumb. I, I kind of want you to be nice to people and all of those things, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. I want, I want to challenge you to be a little bit more than nice. I want to challenge you to care about somebody's spiritual condition, their connection to God. I want to give you, I want, I want to, you to care that people know that God loves them and he shows them grace and he shows them forgiveness. And there are plenty of verses in the New Testament that talk about this. I'm going to throw out a couple um, to you. Before uh, Jesus, he ascended to, to heaven, he gave two speeches. And the first one is the Great Commission that many of you are familiar with. Um, and this was sort of his farewell speech to his disciples, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Jesus, he, he appears off and on to uh, people for the next 40 days and in his final recorded speech, before he ascends into heaven uh, in front of all of them, he said this, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus, in his final instructions to his followers, he called them to care and reach people who don't know him. Okay. One more passage over in 2 Corinthians uh, Paul's talking about sharing the gospel here. It says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was rec reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, to God. God made him who, ha who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so God wants us to reconcile, to lead people to him. So caring for the lost is clearly part of these good works God uh, prepared for us in advance to do. Now, what I'm about to tell you may surprise some of you because it surprises a lot of Christians, right? Most people out there in the world are not afraid to have spiritual conversations. Weird, right? Most people are not afraid to have spiritual conversations. Most of them, if they are afraid, are afraid of Christians, right? And do you blame them? There are some weird Christians out there. They're afraid of this pushy, preachy, phony, judgmental, you treat me like a project, that type of you know, I'm going to bash you with my Bible and my politics for good measure and yell you into being a Christian types of Christians. That's what they're afraid of. 
But most people, and most of you have probably experienced that, either in person or maybe on social media. But most people are not afraid of spiritual conversations. And gosh, if you, if you have any non-Christian friends, people that uh, may uh, believe something different, ask them, hey, is it weird for you to have God conversations? Or ask them, like, hey, what is your impression of most Christians today? I think, and I would imagine that that would be a fascinating conversation that could help us reflect on what we individually are putting out into the world and how maybe people might be negatively perceiving Jesus through how we conduct ourselves. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, like, man, I should have skipped today. <laughs> some of you really think that. <laughs> No, but it's like, I don't like talking to peer, people, period, let alone about Jesus, about, about faith. Like, I get it. I'm not the evangelist type. I'm not the preachy type. I, I don't even have any Christian bumper stickers or T-shirts. Right? I, I, I get all the fears around this. I understand those. Trying to share our faith can be difficult and intimidating, and you're never quite sure how those conversations are going to go, do you? And what doesn't help matters is... Usually, we know somebody that's really good at that stuff, right? They, they can, uh, they're so outgoing and confident, they can strike up a conversation with anybody, anywhere, and somehow morph it into this conversation about belief and faith in Jesus. And that's a style that works for some people. And if that's you, I mean, keep going. That's awesome. But I find most people are not wired that way. And if you spent some time around people like that, you may have gotten this kind of guilt complex because you're not wired that way. Like, I can't share my faith. I, I'm not wired that way like him. And I've had friends and mentors throughout my life that um, approached sharing their faith that way, and like they had all these stories about who they are sharing Christ with. And Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not embarrassed about my relationship with God in any way, shape, or form. But I tend to be more comfortable with a bit of a different delivery system, right? One that's centered more around relationships. And I don't think I'm the only one like that. And what we call that around here is relational outreach, okay? And the key word being relational. We build a relationship with a person. And then we can talk about spiritual things. So... How do we do that in a way that's not pushy and preachy and phony and judgmental? That's pretty important. And we're going to look at how Jesus did this in John 4, where Jesus encounters a woman at a well. And we're going to pull some principles out of what Jesus did and then try to apply those to our own lives. So we're going to start in John 4. It says, so he, speaking about Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, in that culture, women typically would draw water in the morning because it was cooler and then easier to do that chore in the morning. And second... That was the time when other women were doing that as well, and so it became kind of a, a social event. And so here in this story, though, it's about noontime, it says, the hottest part of the day, and there's only one woman there. 
And this is atypical, it's not normal. And the reason it's atypical is because this woman was atypical. She was an outcast, she was shunned, and you'll see why here in a minute. But verse nine, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And it says she's surprised, and she was so surprised because Jesus is breaking down uh, a lot of cultural walls here to communicate to her. He broke down this gender wall because then men and women didn't communicate like this in public. He broke down a racial wall because Jews and Samaritans didn't communicate like this uh, back then. And he, he broke down a social wall even because rabbis and these immoral outcasts, these sinners, didn't, didn't communicate like that in public. And so all of this is very surprising to this woman. Verse 13, Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And watch what Jesus does here. He's such a master at this. He takes something common and moves it into this spiritual conversation. Everyone knows um, what it's like to be thirsty, but we also know that that doesn't quench our thirst forever. And so when Jesus talks about thirst and quenching thirst, he's using this common ground knowledge um, around that to get to a deeper truth because we all have deeper thirsts in life. It might be emotional or spiritual for, for real meaning in life or for truth or respect or value or significant relationships, you name it. We're, we're thirsty for these things. And what we do in life is we keep drinking all these cheap substitutes. Maybe it's uh, power or fame or recognition or wealth or fill in the blank uh, for you, but we, we try to quench this thing inside of us, but it never seems to go away. It's not quenching it. And so Jesus is saying, I'll give you something that'll quench your thirst indefinitely, forever. And he promises this perpetual spring within. And he's talking about the presence of God, doing life with God, right? He's talking about God himself in your life to quench that. And that's what Jesus is talking about with this woman. Now, Jesus seems to take the conversation a little bit uh, differently here. Um, and it might be because at this point, it may have been culturally uh, inappropriate for them to be alone. And so verse 16, he says, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Now, my, my instinct in reading that would be sarcasm, but I don't think that's how Jesus said it. Right? I think Jesus is saying this with so much care and concern for this woman. Like, no, you don't have a husband, for you've had five like, can you imagine that? You're at the water cooler and all of a sudden. Like, you know when you're caught in a lie and you're like, oh man, how do I buy time? How do I, how do I move on to the next topic? Notice what this woman does in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Yes, he is. So tell me, why is it you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here in, at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. And you can see what she's doing here. This is like the classic uh, redirect. 
Change the subject. Let's not focus on my issues. Let's not focus on my past, my failures, my sexual history. Let's, let's talk about something that's really been bothering me. Ancestral worship. Right? Where did our ancestors worship? Have you ever done that? When the truth gets a little bit too close to home, when somebody exposes a sin or a hurt in your life and you move to uh, change the topic quickly, that's exactly what's happening here. It's tough for us to sit in that and deal with that. And so she tries to change the subject. Verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And I, I love the little details here. Like, she left her jar. Isn't that interesting? And what that tells me is this interaction with Jesus was so surprising, it changed her agenda. She came to, to draw water from the well, but she left with a new agenda. I've got to tell people what I've just experienced. I've got to tell my husband. I've got to tell all my husbands what I've just experienced. <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus changed her agenda. Now, meanwhile, if you remember, the disciples, his closest followers, were, were coming back with food for him. In verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked each other. And so Jesus is having this kind of spiritual moment, and these guys are clueless, right? Food. We just hiked five miles, Jesus, while you were here sitting by the well, and you've already eaten? Like, what's going on? What's that about? And Jesus is like, no, I've been nourished. I just did what I came to do. Did you, did you see her face? Did you see how she just left her jar? Did you see the potential in, in her life? That's what I came to do. That's my food. Verse 34, he says, Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. It says, if God is saying, hey, you look around. We have a message of eternal life that people desperately need. They don't need religion. They don't need rules and rituals and all of that stuff. They need a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And what joy and satisfaction awaits those who care about the spiritual condition of others. You want to accelerate spiritual growth, care about people who don't know him, and have grace-filled spiritual conversations with them. Especially those that are closest to you in your, in your circle of influence. And he says, what, what joy there is in that. Now, let's make this a little bit more personal. What are some things that we can do how can, how can we care for these people in our lives based on what Jesus talked about here and did here in, in John 4? And the first thing is uh, use common ground. When we talked about how Jesus capitalized on this common knowledge, this common ground around thirst, and um, it, this common ground for you might be where you spend your time regularly. And so that might be your neighborhood. That might be a kid's sporting event, volleyball, soccer, uh, baseball. Maybe it's if you're in school, like maybe it's your school 
or a marketplace or a club that you're in. Your common ground is wherever you spend a lot of time. Capitalize on that. Capitalize on that. And this is so important. Don't go into that looking for a spiritual project. People could sniff that out like from a mile away. And it, it's kind of silly for me to, to say this, because, but I, I, think, I think some of us need to hear this. Go and make genuine relationships, friendships, with people who don't see the world the same way you do. It's okay. It's okay to have friends, actual friends, who don't believe the same things you believe. Okay? And that goes into our second point, and I think this is so important. We need to accept people where they're at. Accept people where they're at. And this is one of the biggest hurdles, I think, for us to have spiritual conversations. And I think a lot of us don't know how to do this well, okay? It's so easy in a spiritual conversation or in any conversation to throw up a wall of judgment, isn't it? You see somebody who doesn't look the same way or act the same way you do, and this wall can go up, or you smell alcohol, or, or something like where they have that bumper sticker on their car, right? And all of a sudden, this wall goes up. And they can sense that. People can sense that. We can sense that when other people do that to us. See, most people are not afraid of the spiritual conversation, but a lot of people, many people, feel so, so judged by Christians. It's this us versus them mentality that they sense. It's a, I'm okay, but you're not okay type of vibe. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's this superiority vibe that they, that they, that they sense. Like, I'm better than you. Hopefully that's unintentional, but it might be the tone. It might be nonverbals. But these, when they hear that, when they see that, and these walls go up, their walls go up. So take a moment the next time you're in public. It, see and notice yourself. How are you reacting to people? And how are people reacting to you? How are you doing on that? Now, accepting somebody doesn't mean you're approving of their lifestyle or agreeing with their life choices. We know that. You're accepting them as God's creation and genuinely caring about them and their spiritual condition. Like the woman at the well's spiritual condition and lifestyle weren't in line with God's plan, but Jesus accepted her anyway. He was talking with her. He was breaking down all of those walls. He always did that, and, and then he challenged people. And I think we often get that reversed, don't we? We think, or we put out, be different first. Change this thing that I don't like, and then I can accept you. Then I can be friends with you. Then I can care about your spiritual condition. But let's do that first. And hopefully that's unintentional. And you can imagine how that gets received. But once we can do that, once we can genuinely accept people where they're at, number three, we can share our spiritual story. Talk about your life. Risk sharing your spiritual story, where, where, what you were like, what was life like before Jesus in your life, and then what has been going on since Jesus. And you don't have to be perfect and have all the answers because it's your story. That's what Jesus did. He shared a, a spiritual story, and really for him, it was a spiritual statement. He's like, yeah, I'm the Messiah. He had that going for him. Now, you and I, although maybe some people think, we are not the Messiah, right? We're not that. And so we have to come up with something a little bit different, some sort of statement or story that can help us share our faith. Like, 
um, hey, a group, of, a group of friends and I are, are studying the Bible, and we're looking at what Jesus really said and what he really did. It's, it's fascinating. And that's just a statement. It's a spiritual statement that could break the ice and get a spiritual conversation going. Or, yeah, I go to church every week. There's something about, you know, studying and hearing the Bible and what that says and that's really been helpful in my life. Or the classic, yeah, I used to have a problem with uh, drugs or alcohol or a bad marriage or insert any number, any million of the issues that humans uh, deal with. But now, my, my faith in Christ has just given me a new life. Or I know Pastor Brian has spoke on this quite extensively at times where um, he will use this statement to help um, start a conversation. And it, it's in the context of a relationship whenever somebody shares something with you and you just simply say, oh, I'll pray about that for you. I'll be praying for you. And then you care enough about them to follow up. Right? And that, that has the ability, that, that simple statement can open up the door to some incredible faith-oriented, grace-oriented spiritual conversations. Risking that type of one-on-one transparency can open that door to further discussions about the gospel and why Jesus came to the earth and died on a cross. Like, nobody can argue with your story. They can argue about the Bible and the historicity of Jesus and, and evolution and all these side topics that everybody loves to argue about, but this is your story. And everyone has a story, don't they? And it might be different than yours. And so when we're in these relationships, do a lot of listening. Listen to other people's story. And then this is probably the most important, it is the most important of all. Expect God to do his part. Expect him to do his part. The bottom line here is what God asks us to do is be faithful and care for other people and their spiritual condition. Faithfulness is more important than the results. Results aren't up to you and me. You can just care and, and share and leave the rest to God. If somebody doesn't respond to that, it's not, it's not your fault. That's between them and God. And now, that doesn't mean you immediately like drop them as a friend. That would be really rude, right? So continue caring and, and loving people. They're not projects, okay? And when God gets involved, incredible things can happen. Verse 40, as we look at how this story ends. When they, uh, speaking about the Samaritans, came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Now, if he is the savior of the world, and we know that, we believe that, why would we not want other people to experience life with God? Why wouldn't we be willing to, to face our fears in order to, to really care about some, somebody and their spiritual condition and have maybe a little bit awkward spiritual conversation? And not with an agenda to convert. Not with an agenda to convert, but with an agenda to care and love and point people to Jesus. That's the challenge this week. That's what we learn from the woman at the well. It's a lot of homework. Let's pray together.
God, thank you so much for this example of how we can care for people in their spiritual condition. God, if we can't identify anybody in our lives right now that doesn't know you, God, bring that to us. Show us that so we can, we can make genuine friendships with people and point them to you, to share this good news of life with you. God, this can be intimidating. It can be um, scary even. And so we thank you and trust that you're with us in all of this. And God, we know you love all of these people, whether they live life the same way we do, whether they act the same way we do. They are your creations. And so give us hearts for people that may be a little bit different than us. God, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning and you want to learn more about Jesus or you would like to um, get, get some prayer, uh, you may have something going on that you would like our prayer team to, to pray over you with. They, they are up here. They would love to spend some time with you um, and pray with you. Now, um, go look at some of the relationships you already have and have a spiritual conversation this week. Thanks, guys.